Okay, now, isn't it true that there are areas of the Christian faith, there are elements of the Christian religion that we in the 21st century church, we do not consider as we perhaps should. Areas of the faith, elements of the Christian religion that we do not give due care and attention to. Um, for example, if we thought properly about the predicament of the lost, we would actually greet our evangelism. Or if we focus truly on the holiness of God, we natural in greater or sincere repentance from sin. Isn't that right? You see, I'm saying to you, there are elements of the Christian faith, there's areas of uh, our religion that we do not focus on as we should. Well, here's the thing. Surely, chief amongst these overlooked essentials is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was said of the early church that the early church fathers, they thought more about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. They thought more about the Perusia, the second coming of Jesus, than they did about their own deaths. They thought more about Christ's return than their own future, their own death. Could that be said of you or me? I wonder. Is it not the case that what we have done is we have pushed the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ onto the back burner of the contemporary church. Well, this morning, as we continue in our sermon series in the Gospel of Mark, it is to the second coming of Jesus that we turn. And I think the primary lesson that we are taught in this portion of Scripture is the assurance that the second coming can bring. Friends, let me say this to you. There is there is hope for you as a Christian. There is hope in the fact that one day you are going to see your Lord and your Saviour return. There is hope there. What I want us to do for our short time today is to look at this short portion of Scripture, but to notice uh, a few elements from it. The first is this. Let's consider the phenomenon that accompanies the second. So the phenomena that accompanies the second coming. So what do we do Well, when you, when you agree that, if you've been here for the sermon series, when you agree that we've had to work really quite hard uh, thus far in uh, Mark chapter 13 to really establish what Jesus is referring to at various points in this chapter. And we, you know, is he talking about the temple's destruction? Is he talking about his return in the end of days? Is he talking about both? I think there's been blood, sweat, and tears over the last few weeks. We've had to work very, very hard at this. Thankfully, though, by the very first phrase in our section this morning, I think we're left with very little doubt about what we're doing. Do you see the little phrase there? What does Jesus say? Verse 24. He says, In those Days. Does that sound again? In those days, that's a phrase that's used throughout the Old Testament to speak about the end of days. You see, we know we're not dealing, we're not dealing with the temple, we're not dealing with the fall of Jerusalem. We're not, we're looking ahead here. In those days, you see, we, 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 we got it. Then you see what happens, though. You notice 
time or chronological marker. Aren't we? Do you see immediately after that? Jesus doesn't give us the date. He doesn't give us the year of his return. But he does tell us that it will happen after something has occurred. So I guess that gives me the opportunity to ask you this. Since you've been here over the last few weeks, have you followed the chronology of the end according to Mark chapter 13? Have you, have you seen how this should pan out according to these verses? Can I say, if you live in the last days, are we clear on that? That the last days is this, this period of time according to scripture that, that stretches from the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And stretches right through to his return. That's the last days, according to scripture. And what do we see in Mark 13? What is that period of time going to be like? Would you not agree with me that it would be a time of increasing difficulty for the people of God? Is that what we see? When there's going to be increasing opposition to the church, increasing persecution. What do we see coming to the opposite? We see that the kingdom of the Antichrist will be established. The abomination of desolation will be increasing. Apostasy gets worse, gets worse, gets worse. But then, what does Jesus say? Verse 24 After that tribulation, our Lord will return. So we know that we're dealing with the end, and we know as well that the end is going to come after a tribulation for the church. But then you see in Scripture don't we, that we are taught about the phenomena that we should expect to see when Jesus comes back. So, tell you what, at this point, let me speak to the boys and let me speak to the kids of the congregation. I know we're depleted, so in the family we but we've still got some kids at the back and in the middle and at front. A winner. Okay, so boys and girls, let me ask you this. See and school. Have your teachers ever taught you anything about space or outer space? Yeah, yes, lots of times. I'm sure you would, if you're learning at home or in school, that perhaps the teacher, if the teacher hasn't taught you about outer space, that's coming. You look forward to that. Hey, boys and girls, I wonder if you noticed when Pastor Priest was reading out scripture, that when Jesus comes back, he speaks about events that take place in outer space. Did we notice what it said? Let me read it again. He says, when he returns, listen, the sun will be dark, the moon will not be its light, and the stars will fall from the sky. Everyone's clear that we are we're the cosmic, the cosmos. This is focus, isn't it? The Lord's return. Right? Interesting there is that that would not be new information for the disciples listening to Jesus. What Jesus is doing there is taking language from all over the Old Testament. Kids, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Joel, Amos, Zechariah—they all say the same thing. They all prophesied in the end times. There's darkness. The sun will be dark. So it's not new information. But I want to ask you this: Do you see what Jesus? But do you see why it is that he is speaking about these cosmic changes? Do you see why? If not, think about it like this. Pretty sure it's looking around. Everyone in here will have at least heard of the film uh, Crocodile Dundee. Okay? Yes. 
that you've got the main character, Mexican Dinkus, a cute, coarse Australian guy, don't you? And he's walking through New York at night and he's got this girl on his arm. You know the scene, you know what happens. A guy member shots him, body jumps out, and he pulls out his flick knife and he demands that Mick Dundee hand over his wallet. What does this crude, coarse Australian do? He reaches around his back and he pulls out this enormous hunting blade that he uses to catch crocodiles. And he looks at the body and he says, That's not a knife. This is a knife. That's not a knife. This is a knife. And the body, the body sparkles when he runs, and you know he might as well And in all seriousness, do you not see that that is what Jesus is doing here? Because you consider the context, and consider what Jesus has just said. Do you remember from last week? He has just warned of false Christ appearing. And do you remember how these men are going to try and lead the seeds of weed? Do you remember what it was? What was it? Signs and signs and wonders. Did you see why it is that Jesus is speaking of these cosmic changes? He's saying to his church, don't fall. He says, you know, you don't be deceived by these pretenders. He said that we will know that it should somebody come back pretending to be the returning Christ. We will know it's a lie. Why? What does he say? He says, when he comes back, the universe itself will disintegrate. Don't fall for the signs of wonders. You see that the sun in the sky, the one that burns at 15 million degrees centigrade, what a hundred times in diameter. Thank you. 
about that for a moment. Think about the contemporary church. Think about the contemporary church in America. Or the contemporary church in Brazil. The contemporary church here, us. What is the tendency? The tendency is to focus on the trouble of Christ's return. Isn't it? The tendency is sometimes to focus on the geography of Christ's return. Or uh, to focus on the things leading up to Christ's return. And listen, it is all to the neglect of the person who is set to, to come back. In fact, I don't want us to be like that in the city Presbyterian Church. So here's the question that we have to wrestle with just now. What do we learn about Jesus? What do we learn about Christ, the center of the city coming? What do we learn about him from Mark 13? Well, we said a moment ago, didn't we, that in the previous verse, Jesus has taken lots of Old Testament references, didn't he? From all over the Old Testament. Now, I want you to see that when he is talking about his physical return. He's not thinking about a lot of different Old Testament texts. He's thinking about one solitary Old Testament text. And it's that the scripture that Gabriel read earlier on in Daniel 7. Now did you see, did you follow what was happening there? The prophet sees the Son of Man in the skies and he's receiving the dominion of all the must have noticed when Gabriel was reading out Daniel 7 that there's an awful lot of detail in Daniel 7 about the, the coming of the Son of Man. And Jesus leaves it out. But what does he keep in? He keeps in the fact that he will return in the clouds. Like, he, in fact, the way it's written, it's actually emphasized. It's kind of like reinforced, underlined, highlighted. I'm coming back in the clouds. In the clouds. So what a... What is it about the clouds? Why is Jesus so concerned about the clouds? Well, friends, if, if you know your Bible well, you will know that throughout the Old Testament, clouds are seen in association with the very presence of Yahweh himself. Clouds throughout the Bible seen with the presence of God. Isn't that right? What about the people of Israel moaning to Moses? Do you remember what happens? They turn towards the tent of meeting. And what do they see? They see the cloud of God come down. And what about that cloud that sat atop of the mercy seat in the Ark of the Covenant? Or wait, here's one the boys and girls will definitely know. What about the pillar of cloud that the people of Israel followed through the wilderness. Do, do, do you see what it is that Jesus is saying here? 
He's saying that in the second coming, we will not see an underling. We will not see an angel descend. We're not going to see a created being. No, we look at the clouds. What do we see? The Son of Man is the Lord God of heaven and earth. You see, look at the clouds. This is God. This is God in flesh descending. Then we also have to consider the manner of Christ's return. So please do that. Look again at verse 26. Look at the end of the verse. How does Jesus end the verse? We're told that the Son of Man will come in the clouds. What, what does he say? How does he describe it? With great power and glory. I tell you what, I, I ask you to consider that from the disciples' point of view. Like, do you remember what we said last week and the week before about where the disciples are located at this point? What's the scene, the setting? They're all, who is it? It's Peter, James, John, and Andrew. There's four disciples, and they're sitting with Jesus at the top of the Mount of Olives, aren't they? Now, I ask you this question. Do you see what the disciples would have seen as they look at Jesus at this point? Our Lord would have been so tired. Isn't that right? Like all of the teaching that day, and all of the recent traveling, our Lord would have been exhausted. And he'd probably be hungry. This is at the end of the day. And what do you know? This is only going to get worse. This weak Lord at this point, he is soon to be arrested. Isn't that what's going to happen in the coming chapters? He's going to be beaten, dragged from pillar to post. And this man that they are looking at at this point in weakness, what's going to go on to happen? He's going to face the agony of the garden, the false charges, the agony of the trial. Where does it all culminate? This man, they're looking at here. He is soon to hang lifeless on a cursed tree, limp on a cross. Do you see what Jesus is saying to his men here? He's saying one day it will not always be like this. He's saying one day the Son of Man is going to return and return in power and glory. He's saying one day, like all people, everyone is going to see the strength of the arm of the Lord. There's going to be peals of thunder and and flashes of lightning in the skies and legions of angels filling those skies, singing to the majesty of Christ. Everyone going to witness this. The power, the resplendence of the Lord. There's going to be a scene the likes of which no one has ever seen before. As this shamed Savior as he returns in power and glory. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Do you see what he's telling his church? One day, what will you witness with your own eyes? One day, God is coming back. And he is coming back with might. So we see phenomena. And we see the person at the center of the second coming. But we end the last thing here with the purpose behind the second coming. The purpose behind the second coming. Because I do think there's a question that you could be asking this morning. Perhaps you're visiting LCPC for the first time, there could be a question in your mind. 
why is Jesus coming back? I mean, yes, there's going to be cosmic changes, right? And yes, this is the Son of Almighty God descending. But what's the purpose? What's the intention of Jesus as he returns to earth? Well, I think that is answered here before you. Because do you see what happens? The Son of Man, he comes in the clouds, and at that point, what does he do? He sends out all of his angels, and where do they go? They go to the ends of the earth, they go to the four winds, and what do they do? They gather up the Christians. They gather up the people of God, just as God is said to do in the Old Testament. Christ now, the Son of God, sweeps in and gathers up his people. I, I think it's interesting to note the universality of this ingathering, isn't it? I mean, I've got to be careful with my words, of course. It's not universal in the sense that all people are gathered. They will not be. This is for the children of God. But do you see it's universal in the sense that it is both Christians on earth and, do you notice, it is Christians in heaven that are gathered up. Do you see that is the people who are living, the Christians living at the time, but also those who have died, those long dead rise, they will be brought by the angels to stand before the Lord of hosts himself. But there's a question I, I, I must ask. Do you see again why Jesus is telling his disciples about that assembly? Do you see why here now, Mark 13, Jesus tells them that one day they will gather before him? Do you see the reason? Friends, there our Lord is giving his church hope. Isn't that what it is? I mean, think about Mark 13. He has promised us persecution. He's promised us apostasy. He's promised us opposition. And you know what we're like. We're so weak as Christians. What could happen? We could despair. Isn't that right? The the disciples could despair as Jesus is arrested. Mark's first readers trying to live as Christians under Rome. They could despair. We could despair at this attack in Egypt in the last week. So what does Jesus do here? He says to you, see one day all of this barbarity against the people of God, one day all of it, it ends. One day Christ is going to return and he's going to, as 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 that mother hen scoops up her chicks, he says he's going to come and he's going to scoop up us to be with him. I'm saying, don't you see in that just why the second coming is so utterly crucial for the church? So important, isn't it? Because we are going to face the persecution. We're going to face the opposition. And we need to keep in view that one day Christ returns. Now listen, I've said this before. I've said one day you will see the face of Jesus. But think in that. Like one day your eyes will see his features, his eyes, his mouth. You will see the smile of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will take you to himself. You will be gathered with your brothers and sisters before him. And then what? He will take you home to be with him. Do you see it? That's your hope. 
They're struggling in the Christian life. That's what's ahead of you. That's your future. But I must end with this. By speaking to the person here who is not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, hear me on this. Do you understand what this moment means for your life? What did we say at the start? What happens to the sun? Darkened. What happens to the moon? Darkened like never before. The stars must fall from the sky. Now why is there darkness? All the way through the Bible. Darkness is seen in association with the judgment of God. In Egypt, God sends a darkness that can almost be felt. As the Father judges the Son at Calvary, a darkness falls. And you see, on this coming day, a darkness like none other will fall. Why? Because Christ is coming. But he is coming as judge. And friend, I would ask you to consider that very, very, very carefully because this is a a terrible thought. You ready? You too, on that day, will see the features of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will see the features on the face of Almighty God. A God that you reject by your unbelief. You will see him. And so friends, I encourage you, I implore you to turn to this returning Lord Jesus Christ. While you have time, you repent of your sin. You today call out to Jesus for forgiveness. And know that if you do that, what happens? You enter the sure hope that the church has. And you enter into this knowledge, the knowledge that for all those who are in Christ Jesus, do you know what's going to happen? Do you know what we know? On that day, when we hear that trumpet sound, we know because of the cross, there is a happy ending for the people of God. Let's pray. Lord our God in heaven, we do worship you and we praise you. We know that there is nothing in us as Christians that is of good. There is nothing deserving this wonderful future that we have. But how we praise you for what lies ahead of the people of God. We thank you for your wonderful grace. We thank you that Christ has borne the terror of the darkness. That on that day when darkness falls and the sun is darkened, that his people might not be afraid. We thank you for the fact that Christ will return and we will see his face. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.